Hi everybody and welcome to the Cultural Studies Podcast. It's Toby Miller here and I'm here with a new friend who I've only met a couple of times but already I'm thinking of as a colleague and a friend and she's just given me a very brief, very gentle tutorial in pronouncing her name and I'm going to have a try and then she's going to correct me. Does that sound alright? Absolutely. I am here with the President, Director, Chief Executive Officer of the Media Diversity Institute here in London, Melitza Pesic. Melitza. Melitza. Pesic. Milica Pesic. Milica is a very Serbian name. A very, very Serbian name. Very Slavic. You're also very Serbian. known throughout the land as sexy Serbian. Yes, that's my choice. That's your choice. That's my choice. Milica and Pesic was given by, by my yes. family. Uh, why sexy Serb? It, it is my nickname or my pseudonym or whatever yeah. since I moved to Britain. I was born in Yugoslavia, a country which doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. When it started falling apart, I was working on national television, which, is, which was a Yugoslav BBC. So it was very prestigious to be running a primetime bulletin, you know, on national television. We were relatively free to do our job, relatively as much as you could do in a kind of communist, but, you know, we didn't have a communism of a kind that was in, in Russia. Human face of socialism or human face of communism it was sometimes oh, called. Yes, sort of. So sort there of. were taboos. <laughs> we had three taboos. Yeah. Don't touch in, in Tito. Don't touch in, in self-management, which was invented, and yeah. don't touch into Second World War. Between wow. that, when I became a journalist in uh, uh, late seven, 1970s, these three taboos, and you can even play with them. So, you know? so let's just, just for a little bit of context for people who may mm -hmm. not know about that, uh, I should say the podcast is listened to in 50 countries, mm -hmm. but 50% of listeners are in the US. So Marshall Tito was the leader of the resistance during the war. He ran Yugoslavia mm. in inverted commas until his death. Uh, Self-management was the attempt at an alternative state socialism that Yugoslavia had. And the war was a very complicated matter in terms of various alliances that were and were not held. And Absolutely. So on. I mean, the very quick... Yeah, so I became a journalist at the time yes. when we could even play with these three taboos. Yeah. You know. And then Tito died and we thought, now we can really do our job. And, yeah. and, and it, we were really gaining freedoms people before us could just dream about. Yes. And then we got Slobodan Milosevic. You don't need to introduce him. I'm sure everyone knows who this devil uh, was. Um, and the first thing Milosevic did he decided to control television as the most powerful media outlet. It was uh, covering the whole Yugoslavia. Television Serbia covered not only Serbia, but the neighboring republics. So to control, to introduce war propaganda. I was one of 1,300 people who were basically cleansed from television uh, Serbia for refusing to be part of war propaganda. And all this was done in the case of Slobodan Milosevic in the name of socialism, wasn't it? He claimed to be. Yeah, he claimed. Socialist. He claimed to be socialist. Uh, many people believed he was a nationalist. Yeah. I don't belong to, to those who believe he was a nationalist. Mm. I think he was someone who loved power. He would, he would use anything to stay in power. Socialism, communism, nationalism, Kosovo. As John Lennon know. said, ismism. Ismism. Just, yeah. you know, yeah. keep me in power. power. Yeah. So, lost the job, and then there were, there were journalists in other parts of former Yugoslavia, such as Croatia, Slovenia, Bosnia, Kosovo, mm. Macedonia, 
who lost their jobs for refusing to be part of what already was clear was war propaganda before even the war started right, right. Um, in, in the early 90s. We set up an agency uh, which was trying to produce information, stories which were written in, in, you know, in a uh, professional way. I had problems with the police, I was beaten by the police, I was arrested, ended in hospital and decided to leave. So here I am in Britain. What year, what year was this happening? That was 93, 1993. So 93, because just for some context mm. for people, so Tito dies in 1980. 80. And of course... On the 3rd of May, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> okay. It was like history for us. And of course the state socialism in the so-called Eastern Bloc, and it's questionable how much Yugoslavia was part of that, but for the purpose of the argument, let's say it more or less was. Yeah, well, it was. In a it different was. way it just, yeah, yeah. That starts to crumble in 89. By 91, the Soviet Union more or less ceases to exist. By 92, it does cease to exist. And everybody knows, I think, even very young listeners, about the horrendous chaos, loss of life, so-called ethnic cleansing, and bigotry and monstrous behavior on all sides uh, that occur, whether we're talking about Bill Clinton or Radovan Karadzic, or Tony Blair, or whatever, Tony Blair, whichever you care to invoke, yeah, uh, monstrous mass killing by these people, absolutely. I think it's true to say. Absolutely. So 93, uh, the terrible siege of Belgrade has been under you know, Sarajevo. Sarajevo, sorry, the terrible mm -hmm. siege of Sarajevo has been underway already for like two, two years. Two years, two years. And in terms of world opinion, at least in the West, the Serbs are getting a bad, pretty bad name. Yes, and, and absolutely with all good reasons, you know, because Milosevic, because Serbia was the biggest of yeah. four re republics, uh, uh, Serbs were dominating Yugoslav army, and Milosevic obviously was very belligerent person. He was very clear about Kosovo. No one would touch Serbs in Kosovo. Yeah. He wanted to protect Serbs in, in Croatia, Serbs in, in Bosnia. So it was clear the war was coming along. And as a journalist, you are expected to take a part in this in, in, right. in, in this propaganda. Uh, I'm still shocked, you know, how some of my colleagues in so-called West, whenever we talked about it, just say, oh, but, you know, you have to take a side. Well, 10 years later, a lot of them certainly did with the invasion of Iraq. Let's face well, it, you the can most now extraordinary. After, I have to say, my time living in the United States mm -hmm. uh, during that period, uh, it was absolutely shocking to see what claims to be the beacon of the notion of objectivity in journalism, quite clearly just handing that to someone else or blowing it out or whatever. So anyway, 93, yeah. you've escaped the beatings, the imprisonment. All that. So, so I moved to Britain. to Britain. I came Why to Britain. Britain. Um, I wanted to do, do something with my career, mm. professional. I mm. thought, I'm not there, I can still help, you know. With, you yeah. know. So yeah. I enrolled for for master's degree here uh -huh. at City University. In the journalism program. Journalism, yes. international journalism course. And also, uh, because we set up this little agency in former Yugoslavia called Alternative Information Network, the first mm -hmm. online 
media journalism network in in a, or, or a media outlet in Southeast Europe. Um, so I came here hoping that from here I would be able to help you know fundraising in you know America, Britain, or yeah. whatever Europe. But my main reason was I had enough. You know uh, yeah. when the policeman. Who, who was three times bigger than me when he started beating me on the street. And when I said to him, you have no rights to do this to me, uh, he's, this is my town, I, I can live here freely. He went on beating me and he says, from today, and he had a very strong Serbian accent, Bosnian Serbian accent, and he says, from today on, you would never be feeling free in this city. So that was like... Done. You made Off it very plain. In that sense, I suppose, you saw early on just the kind of hatreds that were aflame. It, it was going on. Uh, yeah. Before I left uh, for almost one year, because I, w I was not allowed to work on television Serbia, we were advised by our lawyers. We set up an independent trade union of journalists, of former mm. journalists of television mm. and radio Serbia. The lawyers advised us, don't let them just kick you out fight will help you pro bono yeah, yeah. and they also said so, so, uh, uh, try to expose what television Serbia was doing so for one year with a colleague of mine we were analyzing primetime news bulletin of television Serbia mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in an independent paper three times a week mm -hmm. showing how they were lying how they were inventing stories events uh, the the propaganda machinery they were using it was fascinating mm. you know it was like you watch the news at 7:30 in the evening and you know what happened that day because we were following you know foreign media you know other independent mm. media and it's like someone actually put the wrong tape and is airing a news bulletin from some other time. Some other, it was so different from wow. reality. Wow. So you experience all that. You come to a democratic country where the media are supposed to be independent and where, where you expect people to appreciate you for who you really are as mm. an individual, mm. not as a member of a group. Yeah. Uh, all... All people here, most of the people I, I met at that time, could see was the time of serve. I came to Britain as a Yugoslav. That's how I was brought up. Yeah. And whenever I was asked, so, so, oh, where are you from? I said, I'm Yugoslav. Those who knew a bit about our conflict said, where exactly? Yeah. And it was like, when I said Belgrade, Serbia, it was either... I was ashamed of being Serb, mm. therefore mm. I was saying I was Yugoslav, right. or I was Yugo-nostalgic, which was even worse, right. because at that time you were not supposed to, to say that there was something positive about Yugoslavia. And the more I have a distance towards that era, Yugoslavia, I think there were a couple of good things we, we, we enjoyed during these hard times of, you know, blocks, you know, capitalism, sure. communism and all that. So here I am here. I decided, okay, from today on, I'm Serb. I don't have a problem with that. Right. I was brought up to be Yugoslav, and culturally, I still feel mainly as Yugoslav, but that's it. Then I'm invited to this event, and I said, you know, to speak, and I said, why me? Which event is this? Uh, it was um, a British Albanian society. Why me? Because you are a moderate Serb. A moderate Serb. Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. Well I, well, I laughed and I said, I said, moderate, is it like being a moderately pregnant? 
You and either said, are or you aren't. So I said, I'll go there <laughs> under one condition yeah. that you introduce me as, as a, a sexy serve. Sexy serve instead because of Because I have rights to decide about my identity. Good. So they thought I was joking. Right. Um, but actually, I, I was not. And when they introduced me, and the Militsa Pesic, Media Diversity Institute, you know, a Serbian journalist, former Serbian journalist, is a sexy Serb. And from then on, and I really, I, I, I make always point because, you know, being sexy is not very politically correct. But if I feel like that, it's my right. I'm not hurting your feelings, so that's me. So yes. It's 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 a bit long introduction, but yeah, that's that's how I introduce myself. That's how I feel. I love that's it because basically being Serbian is not being politically correct. When you think of the entire mythology that's arisen in the last twenty years, yeah, yeah, you are always already stereotyped. Yeah, you are already a bad guy. Mm -hmm. You are already a bad guy. Well, you know, that's what MDI has been doing, media diversity, so ever since we've been doing this job, you know, uh, is don't stereotype. Yeah. Yes, if anyone as an ethnic group is responsible for what happened uh, in our wars, you can say, yeah, it's Serbian government, Serbs voted for it. But you know, we are individuals. Mm -hmm. I had lots of debates with many people, including uh, Michael Ignatiev, mm -hmm. um, at the time of bom NATO bombing of, uh, of uh, uh, Serbia, Kosovo, and, and Montenegro. Um, the, the, the four le levels of guilt being guilt, you know, responsible because you are intellectual, thinking being, because you are a member of that group, you know. But we are also individuals and we have rights, you know, to express ourselves, well, particularly... this is Michael Ignatiev, who thought the invasion of Iraq was fine because he said the United States was a benign imperialist and his great example for this was Puerto Rico. Yeah. What a joke he is. We all know what happened when he actually got involved in politics. He got one vote. His own. Yeah, it was, it was quite... Although he's sometimes result. known as the thinking feminist sex symbol. I, I'm probably not, in your not eyes. a feminist or not a woman. <laughs> he wasn't your type. No, uh, uh, but he did a great film about uh, uh, the fall of Yugoslavia. Uh, because he knew a lot. He, he lived mm. as a child and his father was a diplomat. Right. What happened with him later on uh, and how he went from here to there, uh, where he is now politically, that's... That's, that's strange. That's, Did you ever come across Pierre Vickery at all in Belgrade? He was an interesting guy. He was doing radio reports from there during the war. Uh, to Australia and the UK, particularly to Australia. And he, because his reports, which were on Radio Australia, mm -hmm. were regarded as very accurate, mm -hmm. Yugoslavs, in inverted commas, in Australia would record them and then play them over the telephone to people in Sarajevo and Belgrade, in family. Because they were family yeah. members who would then find out what had happened because they were saying, they would also show television footage, they, they would take television footage and then send it, and it got there a lot of the time, of events that were just not being shown at all, yeah. because of exactly what you described, the yeah. business of showing things from the year before. So anyway... For one year of analysing television, mm. Serbia primetime bulletin, mm. for mm. one year, 
television Serbia did not show a second of what was really happening in, Sar in besieged Sarajevo. A second. So people of Serbia, had, if they were getting information mm. only from television Serbia, and many did, yeah. many did, people were poisoned. They were in there was independent radio, really good, really good, B92. There was, there was a, yeah. a good weekly... Uh, B92, very famous all over absolutely, the world. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. No, people were like poisoned. Yeah. To watch and you say, oh, I saw it on television, meant television Serbia. My own parents, oh, really? my own parents. I would mm -hmm. come while I was still working, I would come home and said, watch tonight. Milosevic was in Niche, it's a town in Serbia. Uh, or, uh, there was a rally organized for him. There were so few people that they were thinking of canceling. Then they decided, no, you go, we'll fill in the square where you are talking. So they just took from different footages uh, and I'm, t I'm telling my own parents, watch, I, know, yeah. I was watching when they, oh, you know everything the best. It, there was, the, the news uh, agent uh, close to my, my parents' house, who knew my parents, he would offer a paper to my father, take, read, return it. That's rubbish, meaning this independent. There was this poisoning, not only in Serbia, but I'm talking about Serbia simply because I because know Serbia so and the West and familiar, and which, because that hurts me uh, uh, the most. Deeply. So how did, before we get back to the MDI, how did B92 survive? Um, when I asked Vera Matic, who set up the radio mm -hmm. uh, and was director for years, uh, I asked him the same question. I was doing a story about media in Serbia for uh, Le Monde Diplomatique. I was still in great, Belgrade. Great magazine. Uh, great. And, uh, and he says, uh, well, you know, I'll go on till they don't stop me. And I said, but is it probably because it's not relevant because people only in Belgrade, even not all parts of Belgrade, you can listen to B92. And oh. he said to me, what are you trying to say? And I said, well, maybe it's, it's a bit B92 is like Adam's fig leaf, you know. Mirosic can go around and say, I'm, I'm not a despot. I have free media. Look B92 what they're doing to me. And then I said, so what do you want me? To close down just because not everyone can... Can, can hear me. So maybe because Milosevic needed a proof that you know, mm, there is yeah. some, maybe yeah. because uh, B92 was so demonized by pro-Milosevic media that pro-Milosevic people would just refuse ever to listen to it. Mm. Maybe because, the, you know, 8 million people of Serbia at that time. The viewership of television Serbia was 3 million per evening. Wow. Mm. And all independent media together, mm. less than a million. Right, right. right. The story is... So, so uh, many people were, were not... Oh, there must be some deal between B92. Uh, I remember mm. Freedom Forum. Yeah. Oh, they had doubts. They even had articles like, there should be something with B92 if they can air without problems. When NATO bombing started and uh, Serbian forces uh, shot one NATO plane, which I, I'm not an expert, but uh, uh, invisible, you know, one of these. So people were, you know, making all sorts of jokes, particularly, or it was like, oops, we didn't know you were invis invisible. And B-92 reported because it became a joke, oops, 
we didn't know it, you were invisible. So Freedom Forum found out this is the proof that B-92 is actually, you know, not independent. It's a fun, you know, it's everyone was reporting on this, you know, internationally. It was a fun. So um, that's probably, but they survived hardship, but they didn't survive after that. No. Yeah. Well, let's get back to the Media Diversity Institute. Mm. When did it start and why did you start? Um, it started actually as a part of New York University mm -hmm. Center for War, Peace and the News Media. Um, they invited me through, I was working for International Federation of Journalists, uh, running the very first ever reporting diversity project in Europe. It was mm -hmm. uh, Hungary and Albania. And then we had some partnership with the with the center, with New York University, and they offered me a job. They thought, you know, quite rightly, that what was happening in Southeast Europe, it was going to be happening for a while, that what we learned, we, we could learn there can be transferred somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So um, I joined and then we set up what, what was called European Center for War, Peace and the News Media. And mm -hmm. we were one organization till somewhere September 11th and after that we decided to go different ways because we here believe that not only media in so-called developing countries are unprofessional or, or need, need to get professionalized but actually media in so-called developed world too. Uh, the way CNN reported from the Twin Towers um, we found quite unprofessional. No, I un understand that it's a tragedy, and it is a tragedy. But reporter is not there to cry with the with the with the you know people around, but to report to have emotional distance. And if reporter cannot do it because of post stress or whatever traumatic stress disorder, or whatever, mm -hmm. change the, the reporter. But it was quite. Uh, um, uh, unprofessional uh, mm. by many media so mm. we thought no and you know we from London we want to work in in the European Union you know in any country when when we find where we find media not doing the job in a responsible and professional right. way so we've been media diversity institutes since, since then to, it's yeah. worth pointing out in mm -hmm. terms of what you just said that listeners may not know, that there was a massively patronizing, condescending attitude in the West about the quality of journalism and the training of journalists from the Soviet sector or state socialist countries as it had applied from the 1920s on. The view that one of the great tasks that particularly people in the United States thought they had to burden after 1989 was to retrain journalists. And they even claimed, I remember this from the people at NYU you were talking about, mm -hmm. some of Mm -hmm. we, we both might. knew, yeah. that you know these people are hungry for the truth, they just don't know how to report it, so they're coming to us and we can tell them. You remember this very yeah, preachy yeah, yeah. attitude, yeah. which still obtains to many people in the United States, actually. Many people about journalists trained yeah. elsewhere. No, it's a very strong but disposition. It, but we are probably talking about a patronizing uh, um, approach which is quite typical you know for for many people you mm -hmm. know uh, generally not only when we talk about journalism the fact that 
my colleagues in, in a country, ex-communist country, mm. reported on this or that way, unprofessional way, uh, propagandist way, does not mean they don't know how to do it mm. in the right way. It's just that they are not allowed. And I was, I'll give you an example from Britain. Mm -hmm. In 2006 or seven, there was a tabloid, I think Daily Star, don't take Daily Star, a group of journalists, 16 of them, um, wrote a, an open letter complaining mm -hmm. that their editors are pushing them to, to uh, write anti-Roma, anti-Gypsy articles. Mm -hmm. They didn't sign the letter, but it was for this. So um, NUJ, National Union of Journalists, says, well, it's your business with your editors. Press Complaints Commission says, you know, the Roma people have to complain if they are not happy. Press Complaints Commission is the... Press Council, press? which regulates print media. Yeah, self-regulating. Yeah industry body which has just been disestablished and fallen apart because of its many failures yeah, yeah. and been replaced by something equally hopeless, some, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we decided to, to organize an event. Right. Um, the, the image of Roma people in British and other European Great. media, Great. we invited different experts, some mm. of them Roma people, some, some not, and we, I personally called, you know, uh, this, you know, uh, paper looking for the journalists who would like to come to. I wanted all of them to come and sit in the audience and some of them to be uh, panelists. Only one accepted. Mm. The oh, we can lose job. And I said, well, you know, I lost my job. I don't have any sympathy for just say, oh, I can lose my job. Well, lose your job. Yeah. You can find the job somewhere else. In communist countries, if you lo lost job in, in one minute, that was it. No one else would hire you because you were the enemy of the state or mm. whatever. Yeah, yeah. So this, like, I, I can lose a job um, is much more serious reason for journalists, you know, to 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 uh, hear in mm. this kind of culture not to do the, the job the way they think. Okay, the fact is that the, 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 uh, there is no you know, censorship or whatever in this kind of country. But there is a pressure. And when journalists feel pressure, then they judge, should I lose my job or, or you know, um, you know, accept the pressure. Um, yeah, this patronizing uh, uh, attitude, is, it's not just in journalism. Why journalists in, in developing countries mm. don't fight more? Because it's, look at Azerbaijan. Yeah. It's not losing a job. It's being arrested. It's being put in prison. It's being uh, raped there. M men, uh, uh, male journalists being raped or NGO male activists being raped by, by you know, other prisoners, by, by the guard, and being ashamed of saying because it's, it, the shame is on them, not on those who did. This is how you pay trying to, 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 to be, you know, good journalists. So um, I'm very sensitive to this. Sure. You know, when sure. they come to your country with the idea exactly what journalism should be. Um, parachuted people who would come without understanding, for instance, yeah. that we had in Bosnia Muslims with capital M and Muslims with, uh, with a small M. It was not just the spelling thing. Uh, Muslims with capital M, they, that was nationality. Mm and Muslims with small m, that was religion. So you could be uh, a Muslim atheist, 
Muslim by nationality. Right. So you come to cover this conflict without knowing these kind of things, you know, and, and who are the Muslims of Bosnia, when they became Muslims, you know, why they became Muslims, all this, you know, you know the best. None and, and knows of course, the best. constantly being British journalists, US journalists, going to places without bothering to learn the language, without oh. any sense that they should, they hire a local translator, and that's meant to t give them the capacity, as you say, having parachuted in somewhere, to understand how the place works. It's absurd. But even BBC, they go to, to country X, they interview only people who speak English. Mm -hmm. And you know who speaks English in, in, in most of all the non-English speaking countries, more educated people. Mm. So you basically interview people who are middle class, upper middle class, claiming that this mm. is what the society mm. thinks yep. about certain yeah. issues. Uh, it's just how sometimes this, this arrogance, arrogance and, and, and patronizing. Uh, so Media Diversity Institute, I guess the, the the trickiest word in there for me is diversity. Mm -hmm. The first time I heard about the Institute, it was the one that excited me, but I wasn't sure why. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us how you're defining it and using it? Um, if I can just uh, go to the fixers, the phenomenon of fixers. You yes. can, uh, um, Michael Ignatiev actually wrote a, a novel, one of his million books. Is, uh, the main character is a fixer. It's a very interesting phenomenon. Yes. People look for an interpreter in country X journalist, mm -hmm. and then then they forget that this person is just an interpreter who speaks great English or has yeah. great English, yeah. and then that person becomes a source of information, and then. And then you, 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 you meet a journalist who spent years in your country or, or a country you know. You just can't believe where, where are you getting that from. Uh, Michael Palin, uh, the famous uh, reporter and, and actor, uh, Monty Python, mm -hmm. um, he did a program for BBC on, on Roma people in, uh, in Bulgaria. His young, beautiful uh, interpreter, um, speaking very good English, very beautiful woman, but obviously not knowing anything about Roma people. So she, t she was telling him why they were dancing, the two of them. She was telling him, and no one to dispute that, to correct that, to challenge that. And so we ended by thinking that all Roma people in Bulgaria live in, in good flats given by, by the states with bathrooms and, and toilets, but actually they don't know how to use toilet, they wash uh, potatoes in the toilet, all this ridiculous, of course there are some people who do that, but you can't generalize. So diversity. We were trying to look for a word who would express, you know, mm. um, what we can see around us, uh, definition we use is whatever makes individual and groups different from each other, mm. be it race, ethnicity, gender, religion, language, physical, mental abilities, mm -hmm. sexual orientation, mm. age, um, political, social, cultural status, mm -hmm. just make different, not better or, or, or worse, simply different. and. That diversity is everywhere, and I believe that by the end of this millennium, we will be all the same ethnic group, probably, or the same race, uh, which is probably the same race and ethnicity more and more. Um, so we decided, you know, to use. Very often, people think we we, we just mean when we say media diversity institute that we are dealing with diversity of ownership of media. No, we are. It's diversity 
in the society. Of the social identities as they social are represented. Yes, social political culture. And the access and, that they have. Yeah, well, we, let's say our work is based, if you want to now, like, uh, link it to, like, we always say it's freedom of expression. Mm -hmm. That's the starting point as one of, of the fundamental uh, human rights and civil rights. So freedom of expression for all citizens, regardless mm -hmm. of race, ethnicity, gender, uh, ability, physical, mental, and so on. And our definition of the role of, of journalism is it's a public good. Right. That's kind of media we believe in. Not so a private good. It's a public good mm. and it mm. has to, to serve the public. Mm. And the public is diverse and the media, in, in, in if the journalists want to really reflect what's happening in society, they have to reflect that diversity. Not only in the content, mm. media content, but you know, within the media outlets where they work. If you have only white young male or young female mm. in your newsroom, probably the, the, the point of view of this mm. would be very similar. But if you have people different, you know, background, it doesn't mean that a blind person should be reporting only on blind people or gay people on your gay people. Having a gay person in your newsroom, having a blind person in your newsroom is is opening up your mind. You know, you are seeing the world different way. Mm -hmm. This is your source of contacts. This is how you can check your stories. So it's not only in the content, actually. Without diversity in the newsroom, it's very difficult to reflect diversity in the content. That's how we see it. So that's where the name comes, Media mm. Diversity mm. Institute. And I wonder if you could tell us a wee bit about some of the things the Institute's done. So you've been around in different forms for quite a while, but I guess the last 12, 13 years independently of New York University. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're speaking actually on the 12th of September. So yesterday was an anniversary yeah, we, of the event that helped yeah. to birth the Media yeah, Diversity told, Institute yeah. in mm -hmm. its current form. I lived in New York at the time, and I wrote quite a lot about it because I saw people jumping mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from. Yes. We were talking. So where were you? Everyone probably can remember where yeah, were where you. They were. So you were on the streets. I was on the streets and uh, witnessing. Yeah. Much of this. Yes, it's hard. It's one of those moments where were you when? Yeah. Uh, for people like me, would be you know when John F. Kennedy was shot or John Lennon was mm -hmm. shot. Mm -hmm. For you, it's when Tito died. Well, yeah. it was a big deal for me when Tito died, too. Mm -hmm. In any event, tell us about some of the things in the last dozen years or so that mm -hmm. have been most important as campaigns or areas of inquiry for the Institute. Um, maybe if, if I tell you how we decide where to go, yes, um, right. um, uh, we, we, we think maybe because of the personal experience, mm. personal professional experience of, of the people working in MDI is we seldom go to a country without being asked by someone there. So I'll give you yeah. one example which, was, which turned into really uh, a success. We had this professor from Israel Valley College, mm. which is just outside Nazareth. It was uh, 10 years ago. He came to our office 
Um, and he says, I have 640 journalism students, Arabs and, and Jews. There are my uh, 640 potential peace messengers. What can you do for them? Wow. So we were sitting uh, at that time, we were in, at, at Westminster University, uh, one of their buildings, and there was a beautiful, huge balcony we shared with everyone there. So we're sitting on this balcony, we started chatting. So, Regent Street area. Uh, well, it was in Camden, actually, Camden. there, because they're, they're, they're all, all over the place. Um, and so, so what he's doing with his students, and at one point I asked, do you have a newspaper that they can practice? No. So why don't we do that? Wow. Why don't we set up a bilingual paper which where students can practice kind of journalism Arabic Hebrew, Arabic Hebrew. Right, right. they can practice what they would learn uh, uh, through the training we can provide um, and if the if the paper is good then it doesn't need to stay only you know and be read only among the students but also we can check with Arab uh, language papers Hebrew papers they can publish it as an insert mm -hmm. and and we did it and we did it and it was fantastic first of all the, the training with these young people um, um, Jewish men in the group are two or three years older than Arab men in the group because they, they do first military service. Mm. So you can see, you know, there is, you know, they're a bit more mature than, than the, 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 the lectures are in Hebrew. So that you, know, you can see, you know, that there is, there is some tension sometimes, but you can also see that there is a lot of they have in common. Mm. You know? mm. um, so we actually did the training they decided who is going to be then editor, sub-editor, managing editor, stories. I can show you that we still have examples of the magazine. And at the end, the, the, the magazine they produced was actually published as an insert in five Arab language papers and three uh, Hebrew language papers. And um, they got a, a diversity award, British diversity award, um, for them, it was very like it was just an award, but the first award uh, um, Elton John got, so they could go around. And say, we got British Diversity Award 2004, 2005, 2005. Elton John was, you know, our competitor. Isn't it lovely? <laughs> and so they came here. We didn't have money in the project to bring them for the ceremony, but we, we managed to find the money from Open Society Foundation. So they came and uh, MTV was filming and some famous guys from MTV. They all knew these guys from MTV. So it was a big... So um, if you think what we are doing can be useful in your paper, mm. your radio, television, your country. Then we say, Let, let's design together a project and let's look, uh, look for the funding because we, we have to provide funding. That's the hardest probably, or maybe, it's not maybe the hardest, but it's the least creative maybe or whatever. I, I, I may be being not fair to fundraisers because we are looking right now for a new development director and we are really struggling. Um, people don't want to do that because it's so hard to it's bring. Incredibly so difficult work, isn't it? Hard to bring it, but we we manage. Look at these people here on this picture. They are uh, the, the the four uh, young people there, and this one in the front. They are all immigrants who live in Thessaloniki in Greece. Um, 
the one in, in white shirt is Albanian, yeah. the, the lady in blue t-shirt, she's Serb, the one next to her Albanian, the guy behind her comes from an ethnic minority I never heard of, and I'll probably not able to, to, to recall, it's, there is only apparently 3,000 of them, it's um, on the border between Pakistan and India, on the Pakistani side, they claim they're, uh, they're Descendants of Alexander the Great. Oh yes, I've heard the, of these. Uh, Kalashi, Kalashi. He's the first in his uh, uh, community who is getting university diploma. Wow. And then guy next to him, oh I forgot, I think he's from Georgia. And he, this is a photo of these folks in a recording studio. Yes, we, yes, it's a recording studio in uh, in uh, uh, regional TV radio, uh, TV 100 in Thessaloniki. Again, there was a woman uh, uh, from an NGO in Thessaloniki called uh, uh, Symbiosis. We organize here training for communication for civil society organizations, mm. so how mm. to communicate with media, how to produce your own content. Yeah. Yeah. And she applied, she came to the course, she loved the course, and, and then she said, actually I work with uh, young immigrants, can we do something together? So we had a bit of money from the European Union, but not exactly to work with young immigrants. So we asked European Union to change the project, they allowed us, so here we are. We are. These people never did any journalism, it was 10, 10 days training wow. in, in primarily, well, TV, like video reporting, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, what do you call it now? Gra How do you call it? They do video journalism, but there is new term for video journalists. It will come. doesn't matter. After 10 days, or oh, sorry, within the 10 days, they produced the pieces which were so good that A, regional television decided to air it. Uh, within two hours uh, talk show, mm -hmm. uh, prime time, and uh, they had some experts in the studio, immigrants, you know, there is a, there, there is a right-wing party blossoming in Greece, so, you golden know, dawn. Golden Dawn, yeah. So, it was so popular that uh, they repeated the show uh, uh, at the request of the viewers, and the, wow. the, the videos they produced uh, we sent them to Anna Lind Foundation um, yes. uh, a competition. Named after the famous Swedish uh, uh, prime minister, minister who was, who was tragically killed. killed in a shopping store, uh, or she or was on bicycle right now, so somewhere something. on the street. Yeah. So we sent the videos, and there were more than four hundred entries. Uh, they were fourth. Wow. So um, while we were doing TV. Uh, the, the, the director of TV says, well, I have this radio studio, we don't use it 24 hours. Now when they know basic journalism skills, they can use uh, uh, the studio. So the, after we finished the project, they went on uh, producing monthly shows, uh, this young group, 10 or 12 of them. Wow. So these are kind of things, you know, we do. There are much, this is South Sudan. Another photo on yeah. the wall here. South, South Sudan, uh, at the time, well, it was at the time when they were just about to formally become an independent state. Yeah. So right. it was um, 2010, I think. And that was in the hotel, if you can call it a hotel, because in Juba, in the capital, there were no hotels. Right. Um, and they are from all around uh, 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 South Sudan uh, and uh, there, 
the trainer was Soryu Samura. Mm -hmm. Soryu Samura is uh, uh, from Sierra Leone. Um, does fantastic documentaries. You can see them on BBC, on Al Jazeera, on CNN. He his um, documentaries. Are, he lives the life of his heroes. If it is about famine, so he doesn't eat as long as he's doing the film with um, wow. and 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 he's diabetic. So oh. he was teaching them how to do the stories where they they could bring the stories from other people, but in a way that they live in the shoes of these people. Um, a picture over there is from Egypt. Right, we're now looking um, just outside the little walled office where we are, but we can see a couple of your colleagues there, and there's a picture of some women on the wall in this photo. So in Egypt, um, we worked before, during the Mubarak and mm. uh, after Mubarak, uh, and uh, it is getting worse, uh, harder and harder to work there. Right now we heard yesterday that the government just extended the period till November when they would be tolerating NGOs, local or international. What they're going to do after that, God knows. And they have very repressive laws permitting them to turn off the internet there and yes. they have the technology to do it because of the domination of internet service provision in Egypt, I think. Right? Yes, but also, you know, even at the Mubarak, during the revolution 2011, yeah, yeah. there were big companies such as Vodafone, which were, you know, collaborating Completely with the VR. Yeah. yeah. So we managed, for instance, in Egypt over two years to produce uh, over 300 audio vignettes. Mm -hmm. Audio vignettes, what vignette. a lovely term. So it's it's uh, radio journalists from all around mm -hmm. Egypt, or 10 governorates uh, whom we trained, and then their role was to find heroes, ordinary people, to tell their own stories in their own ways. Mm -hmm. So no discussions, which was immediately after the revolution, very, you know, criticizing government, previous regime. No, let the people tell the stories. Mm -hmm. um, and my favorite story was by this guy who is, uh, he had a recorder for like seven days. They can record themselves and then journalists after seven, they take the, record, the recorders and then, you know, makes three, four, five minutes mm -hmm. maximum. Mm -hmm. When he talks about it, he says, I bought shoes for my number seven today. This is the first pair of new shoes my number seven is getting. And first shoes I'm buying for my kids this year. It says everything about, you know, you know, you don't need to, to, to say the government is horrible, the, the, the economy is not functioning, you know, I live in rural area. So this is... So, all uh, aired on, on uh, Radio Massa, uh, uh, Egyptian National Radio. More than 200 stories uh, produced by print journalists, all uh, uh, published in the end. We produced several well, series of documentaries, um, which were all aired on two televisions. One of them at that time was the most popular uh, on TV, uh, very, very independent, very critical. Of, Mubarak, then the, the, the uh, Muslim Brotherhoods, but now they are too getting very, very um, sensitive what to publish, what to mm, air, because mm. it's, it's getting worse and worse in Egypt. So this is how we, we, we wait for someone to tell us, yes, what you do, guys, would be useful, would be useful to us. Yeah.
So you've got a set of principles about democratizing media access at the same time as professionalizing the capacity of people to contribute and a notion of journalism as a public good. You've got a track record. And basically, your agenda after that is in part set by the people who are around. They look at what you're offering and they jump up and they say, this is for us. Yeah. Or, or they see like how we entered Morocco because people, in, uh, our colleagues from a university in Morocco saw what we were doing in Egypt. So sometimes they, they, they see somewhere or they, they see our website or, or they, they heard. Uh, but it's important for us that we don't parachute ourselves and here we are. But that someone says, yeah, yeah that's... That's Someone useful, you. that can be useful, mm -hmm. let's see. Mm -hmm. When we work, for instance, with, the, with academics, like I'm going to China mm -hmm. uh, in, in two weeks, I'm going to tell them how we work with academics. Mm -hmm. And if, if the professors there see that it's something uh, which could be useful for them, then we will be putting together journalism, communication professors mm -hmm. like you, mm -hmm. Like Naomi uh, Saka from Westminster yes. University, who introduced us, us to each other. Uh, so different professors who are already teaching something which can, which is related to diversity, to human rights. You know, to you know, um, uh, in in China we always talk. We don't talk about diversity that much and inclusion. We talk about social harmony because that's the con concept people can easier yeah, understand. These, these, there are keywords everywhere out there. In Latin yeah, America, yeah. it tends to be social development or there development. There you go. It's not a dirty word for them. It's a way of encompassing ideas of you human know, rights or social The people can justice. understand, you know, yeah. in Morocco when we came and we used words diversity, it was like, oh, you, you think that Morocco is getting balkanized because of Western Sahara and, and Kosovo is its new Kosovo. So we, were, so we yeah. realized uh, inclusion is the word. Inclusion is the word, yeah. But then, yeah. then when the Arab Spring started happening, then the king in Morocco decided to change the, the constitution. Now the word diversity is in the constitution. So things are you know, changing sometimes for, for good uh, and uh, so professors like you would, would come either to China or will arrange meetings or whatever yeah. and then you present your modules yes. um, and those who are interested in, in your module, of course they discuss you know, how you teach this, you know, what kind of uh, reading material you use, you know, uh, exercises, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, they say it, it can work in, with my students or it, it cannot, or if I do this. And then the next stage is they apply for what we call mentoring, probably it's not the right word, but they choose uh, with whom they want to work to develop new modules. And it, it's, it's a period, six, nine months, but then after six, nine months, they are ready to teach. And universities, you know that better than, than I do, are very bureaucratic everywhere in the world. To get a new module accredited, you know, uh, 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 it? Uh, accredited, it takes time. But we say, do as much as you can, you know, till you... Yeah. Sometimes, like in Indonesia, we had a woman who came to our workshop and said, I'm, I'm the, 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 the dean, so... I'm going to accredit my module. It'll be I fine. wanted to. Yeah. I was. I heard what you're doing. I want that. We work, of course, with media industry, with journalists and editors. Only we, we work in different way with with big shots in the media. Um, 
we we don't do training. It's round tables, you know, exchange <laughs> yeah. of experience, uh, study tools. With journalists, it's very practical. very practical. You have to produce, to learn through doing. People are smart. When we sit and chat, everyone is very smart. But going back to the newsroom, so you have to produce something. And, and we have colleague, new, a new trainer, she was here yesterday, she's going to Algeria. So um, uh, she's going to set up a newsroom and uh, she will bring at the beginning an uh, uh, editor-in-chief of the best independent newspaper who complained to us a year or so ago that he doesn't have enough young people women and women reading his uh, paper. Mm -hmm. So we'll bring him at the beginning and he will say what is what are his problems then we will train the journalists and they will produce stories and then after five days he will come and they will he can read the stories and and say whether he wants to publish them whether that mm -hmm. can attract new readers so very practical we work also with civil yeah. society organizations like you know how to communicate with media how to produce your own media don't wait for journalists to come to you because we are sometimes too, too busy, or we are lazy, or we are copying other journalists, you know, so, so you offer something, story idea, expert, uh, already made story, uh, material, yeah. make our lives easier. And the Media Diversity Institute is based here in London, but mm. you are expanding, aren't you? We are, it's like, and maybe a bit too... too too much for, for our capacities. We just opened an office in America mm -hmm. uh, last December. Uh, That's in New York. In right? New York, in New York, uh, with the hope to, to do two things. One is to do something on what we are doing in other countries to do in America, mm -hmm. but also you know to to try to access. Uh, um, you know, potential um, uh, funding there. Yeah. We just opened uh, last June um, an office in, in Western Balkans. We try to work with local organizations as partners. Yeah. For us, it's very important. But New York is because whatever people say, if you're not American organization or not a local organization in a developing country, mm. it's very difficult to, to access American funding. And if you're in New York, you're close to the really big and wealthy foundations. That's what... You've got Ford, you've got Rockefeller, as well as lots of others, but there mm. too that have been very committed over many yeah. decades to supporting in inverted commas development. Yeah, yeah, we hope, we hope that, and we also, we are already talking about, you know, with, with some Canadian partner to do something about, you know, black men and the media, uh, and probably something related to immigrants uh, and the media. And we opened an office in Western Balkans, for Western Balkans, yes. in Serbia, uh, not because we don't have enough partners there, plenty of partners, but we also realize that um, now everyone is applying for a EU membership and, and, and the EU has funds uh, only for local organizations, so we thought so, so we want to focus now. Nationalism is past now in Southeast Europe, or it's, everyone knows it's not politically correct, <laughs> but the new nationalism in Western Balkan is homophobia. 
and no one is tackling it yet, particularly in the media. So we have experience in, 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 in dealing with these issues. So we, we, we set up, we already produce a strategy uh, related to LGBTQ community and the media. Um, we have a couple of really good partners, uh, which are uh, LGBT uh, organizations. So, you know, we are sort of uh, spreading ourselves, but we have to be very cautious because it's still economic crisis around. It's right. very difficult to, to, to get funding. And London is very expensive to, you know, to expand here. Uh, and, you know, when in 2000, when we got first million from European Union, at that time, you could get in, in one million grant four full-time people in London. Mm, mm. Now, there is no project where we have even a project manager fully working on, on that project. It's really hard. And so-called core funding, which many organizations have, we don't. So, so core, this is, in a sense, institutional, institutional grant to enable one to yeah. continue a kind of block grant yeah. system rather than project basis. Yeah. So this support. is... We, all we do comes, you know, from projects, yeah, yeah. but we found the solution. Like everyone is doing two or three jobs, you <laughs> two know. Two or three jobs, but it means yeah. everyone's on what's sometimes called soft money. Yeah, yeah. So in, unless there are more projects, contracts can't yeah. be renewed. Yeah, yeah. But we have almost like 100 people, uh, journalism, communication academics, uh, journalism mm. trainers, uh, uh, journalists, producers, we can always ask uh, to do so. They're not employed by us, but when we need them, we can yeah. pay them from right. the project. Right, out of so, the grant. Wow. You know, and I, I, life is not easy for anyone, so oh, why yes. should it be for us? <laughs> I, I, I would like to come back and do another mm. podcast with you and some of your colleagues, but mm -hmm. I have one last question for this one. Mm -hmm is really for you. If I eat, can your uh, listeners cope? Absolutely. Hear me, mlats, mlats. And why not? There are two beautiful cupcakes, cupcakes, oh. which I can't go near because of my pure vegan politics. So I was munching on naked bars before, but these beautiful looking cupcakes are here because sadly two people in the office are departing today. But I had a slightly personal mm -hmm. question for you as, as sexy sir. Mm -hmm. Namely, do you miss the daily life of the TV journalist? Of the TV journalist? Yeah. journalist? No. 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 Why not? Because my experience with television, so we're talking about TV journalism, mm. my experience with, uh, with TV journalism was so traumatic that I still dream sitting in my newsroom and not being allowed even to pick up newspapers because whatever, you know, for free or, you know, being ignored, looked as a piece of, just because I was not in the right group. And that was also a time when I learned, Toby, that television is such a dangerous weapon, such a dangerous media outlet. Even if you do a perfect piece of, of journalism, perfect piece of journalism, the way it is introduced, the way it was commented after it was aired, or what was aired before that, what was aired after that, can completely change the, con the, you know, the message of your, 
Um, it's it it's it has to be television is a weapon which should be uh, taken and 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 treated almost like a, like a nuclear weapon. You mm. don't know which way it will go. So no, that kind of TV journalism, I don't think I would ever like to go. But do I miss journalism? Mm. Yes, I do miss journalism. You've got a big smile on your I face miss, now. I miss, you know, whenever you, there is something happening, you know, and then you, yeah, how you would do it. You know, would so cover why the is this, why, why he or she didn't visit uh, this mm. one? So why this word? Why this? So I love doing, um, and we do a lot this media monitoring, like analyzing media, yeah. how they do this or that. Getting this the this facts or... right, reporting ethnicity and religion is a very impressive monograph here, a study of media coverage of ethnicity and religion in Denmark, France, Germany, Greece, Hungary, Italy, Lithuania, Slovakia, and the United Kingdom. There you go. There you go. If you thought there was perfect journalism here, <laughs> no. Uh, so it's for me to watch, it's probably there is a lot of jealousy too, mm. so, so oh look, He's there, she's there, you know, still with a microphone, you know. Yeah. I think it's a fantastic profession. It is a fantastic profession. You are paid to learn and talk to people. Every hey, day. Every day. But television, too traumatic. Am I a coward? Yes, probably. Some people would go over that. I was in television Serbia once since that happened, since I left it. I thought I would explode. Yeah, but journalism, Another I always, story. you know, when I talk to, to, to when I do training, I said it's a blessed profession. Mm -hmm. I think it's a fantastic profession. It's something, but I'm linked to that. I'm, you know, working with, with the journalists, with journalism students. Did I tell you that we set up a, a master course? According to the professor from Columbia University, it's a unique globally. I thought it was unique in, in, in Europe. We, um, with Westminster University, we set up a joint uh, uh, MA course called Diversity and the Media. Mm. Uh, and we will need some practitioners to teach there soon. So MDI is producing practice-based modules and Westminster University is producing theory-based modules. And that's quite, you know, an, uh, an NGO, because we are an NGO charity, as you call it here, but NGO and an academic institution running jointly an MA. And more and more, we have Chinese students coming to, to our, when we started, and I remember the first time I went to China, it was like, mm, diversity is pluralism or ownership. Oh, you teach how to report on faith and religion, we, we can't benefit from that. But this year we have 60% uh, of students coming from China. So. Journalism remains magnetic for all the claims that it is virtually dead or virtually buried or that now everybody can be a, a citizen journalist without training, knowledge or background. And of course there are good sides to that as well as ill. Mm. It remains magnetic. Its death has been pronounced far too often because it's really as lively as it I don't think journalism can die, it can just transform, like if print journalism dies, you'll have your whatever uh, piece of plastic you can turn this way and, and read. Um, citizen journalism, I think it's very important because in some countries it's citizen journalists which are bringing uh, information, you know, uh, or, you know, more even here in Britain, citizen mm -hmm. journalists are imposing, social media imposing media agenda. So it's just things are changing, but it will be always there.
you know, someone has to take that role to help people understand what's going on. You know, there was a story when internet appeared. Who needs journalism now with the internet? We need, I think, more journalism now to someone, you know, to help me understand, you know, what's over there and why is there and who can read all these wires, you know, to go to Julian Assange. Someone has to, 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 to help me or at least, you know, point where I can find the things I'm interested in. So, no, it's good there is internet, it's good all this social media. I belong to, pe to the people who believe that all these different platforms are probably more contributed to fragmentation of the audience, of the public, of the information, mm -hmm. than actually helping us to learn more. Mm -hmm. And it's because mm -hmm. till you go to Facebook, to, to Twitter, mm -hmm. to, to internet and email, mm -hmm. half of my day is gone. And we all have to do that if we end up LinkedIn or whatever. But fortunately, your day always includes the Media Diversity Institute. And thank you for joining us today. It's been fantastic learning a bit about your world. I just hope that it was fantastic enough that you come after this and say, can we really do something together? Do you want to go with us to any of the countries we work? What do you want to bring? That's what I see as really part of, of, of this chat. Of our conversation. Wow, you've just tied me in or tied me up or something. Thanks so much. Thank